Well, hey folks, thanks so much for joining the podcast. This is Aaron uh, doing it a little bit differently today. This is a solo pod. You're just going to be hearing from me for a few minutes. And uh, I'm actually at home. Uh, I'm in my 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 hobby room down in my basement. My, my hobby is leather working. And so I'm in this room with um, all these uh, rolls of leather. It just smells awesome. So I'm like in my happy place. And uh, the reason why I'm recording here is it's actually a day off for me and something was bugging me. I had to get it recorded real quick. Um, if you were at the our service this past weekend, you heard me say that I'm, I've given myself an incomplete for working our way through First Thessalonians because there was so much I ended up not getting to. And then there was just one aspect of, um, of First Thessalonians I was so eager to cover with you guys and did not end up getting to um, that it was just bothering me. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go down here and record it and uh, we'll, we'll run it on the pod. So um, the audio may not be as as good as you're used to when, when David's producing and he makes it all sound really nice. But uh, we're going to get by just because, man, this is, this is bugging me. <laughs> so before we get into uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, let me just update you on a few things. Uh, first, building update, guys. We uh, have wrapped up our Onward for Your Kingdom series uh, and our 10-week building campaign that corresponded with that. So it is a wrap. Believe it or not, we start Advent next week. And if you weren't here um, or with us at church this past Sunday, then uh, the, this update will be new to you. It's actually, we're updated the numbers just a little bit. We've raised right at one and a quarter million dollars, 1.25, which is awesome. That's an enormous amount of money. Um, and uh, we are still shooting for that $2 million goal, but um, we're switching gears uh, in this campaign from uh, really the active stage of the campaign to the passive phase of the campaign. And what that basically means is, uh, you know, we've had 10 weeks where we're talking about uh, the building uh, week in, week out quite a lot. And the plans that we have for moving, that's no longer the case. We're, we're downshifting significantly. And now we're just going to talk about the campaign from time to time um, and give updates along the way. And with that, opportunities for people to jump in and to give as well. So we're still shooting for that goal. Um, and the financial board is now beginning to, to plan based on the amount of money we have raised so far. So thanks so much uh, for those of you who have given. And even here on the podcast here, um, we'll shift gears as well. You've been hearing about the building a lot. Moving forward, you won't hear about it nearly as much. Um, so uh, speaking of switching from active to passive and, and speaking of the podcast, uh, we're going to shift gears and downshift as well uh, with our podcast. So here's how that's going to go. We're going to keep posting the sermons every week, just like we always, always have. Uh, but these weekly conversations podcasts we've been doing, um, they're going to be posted in seasons. So um, we're, we're planning to follow like a semester model, um, kind of like the school year does. Um, and we actually do a number of things in the life of the church with a semester model. Most notably, our groups sort of run in a semester model. Um, it sets a nice rhythm for us, uh, keeps us from going crazy, gives us time to catch our breath. So uh, here's how that's going to work with the podcast. Basically, uh, we'll be on um, about four months um, and then we'll be off for a couple of months and then we're going to repeat that. So we've been on for a few months now and uh, we're going to take December and January 
Um, we're going to pause uh, this portion, the conversation portion of our podcast for a couple months. Then sometime early February, we'll pick it back up. We'll go about four months. That'll take us through May. Um, and then there will be a June, July break. Then we'll pick back up in August. We'll go for about four more months. Pause for January, uh, December, January, um, and then run that rhythm right on through. So uh, we're not married to any of that. We'll hold it all loosely. Um, you know, it'll shift along the way. But generally speaking, that's the plan and how we're going to be moving forward with the podcast. Um, in fact, actually, I'm, I'm going to bend the rules already. <laughs> we're going to post one more podcast in this season after this, even though technically it's going to land in December. It's going to actually be another solo pod like this one. Um, I've just got some Advent thoughts that I'm eager to share with you, uh, but they're not going to fit in our current Advent calendar for me to share those thoughts with you on a Sunday. So that's what this podcast's for. So we're going to do that. Speaking of, uh, this weekend starts Advent and uh, our church calendar shifts a little bit with that. So uh, let me give you a, a quick rundown since I've got your attention here on what's coming up. And, and then we will get into really the main content for this podcast, which is a bit of a a look back at First Thessalonians. So here's what's coming up. We, we will give you guys calendars on Sundays to see all this stuff, but here's some, some of the more immediate things and the bigger things you need to know for the church's calendar moving forward. Um, the beautifully made fair trade market. Uh, that starts this weekend. So this Saturday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And um, if you've been there in the past, then you know that there's a real rush at the beginning because um, the stuff's so cool and so many people want it. And so if you want first kind of dibs on those things, you want to be sure that you um, are there at the very start of that. The beautifully made fair trade market starts this Saturday, 10 to 4. This Sunday, believe it or not, is the first week of Advent. And um, we will begin uh, must-have gifts. So um, uh, lots of you guys have asked about that. Must have gifts is how we uh, help respond to urgent needs in our community and all around us and even all around the globe. So it's a really exciting time in the life of our church. We've got some incredible needs um, that we're going to respond to. And uh, once again, our church will be generous as always. So that's coming up, uh, believe it or not, this coming Sunday. Um, and a couple just notes for you guys to have looking a little bit further out. Uh, Blue Christmas is December 21st, uh, and Springbrook's hosting that one uh, this year. So it's going to be at Alcoa Middle School, where our Springbrook location meets. And um, Blue Christmas, if you're not familiar, this is a, a chance for people, you know, for whom perhaps this season is a bit heavy. Uh, we want to hold space for that. We want to acknowledge that. Um, we need to hold on to rhythms of lament when necessary and appropriate. And um, some people also this time of year get they get reflective and and they want to remember and memorialize perhaps loved ones that have passed or or maybe this season just sits a little heavy. That's what Blue Christmas is for. It's going to be December twenty first. It's going to be on a Wednesday night. Um, and what's great about it being on twenty on first is that's actually the traditional night uh, in, in which these things have uh, been done because. Um, December 21st, that's the winter equinox, and it's the longest night of the year. So the symbolism there is, is pretty meaningful as well. 
And then uh, a couple other things with our calendar. I know uh, Christmas season gets crazy, so you can make a note of these things now. Our Christmas Eve services are going to be at 3.30 and at 5 p.m. We will live stream the 5 p.m. This year, Christmas Day lands on a Sunday. We will not have... Um, uh, public gatherings for that. We're going to worship together online Christmas Eve, or pardon me, Christmas Day. Um, and that video will be available. A link will be made available to you all day long. And then the following Sunday is actually New Year's Day, January 1st. Um, and we're not going to meet, in, uh, we're not going to gather together for that day either. We will um, do church online. Uh, exclusively online. That'll be at 10 a.m. At, at our typical live stream time. So um, that's that's the schedule stuff. Hey, one more thing here before we look at First Thessalonians together for a few minutes. Um, we've been, over the course of this year, um, giving you guys some book recommendations. And then when we really want to lean in, we're actually ordering a bunch of those books, making them available uh, at on Sunday morning so you guys can pick them up as easily as possible. This time around, this is a, a shorter window, we've got a book recommendation for Advent in particular, and uh, we are not ordering them to have them uh, here in person so for you to pick up on Sunday. Uh, so what that means is you're gonna have to pick this one up online, but man, I'm, I'm excited to recommend this book to you. It's called Order My Steps. Um, it's uh, Order My Steps. The subtitle is A Daily Journal Through Advent and Christmas. And actually, one of the things I really like about this is it goes through January 10th. Um, I, I like that it kind of carries over into Epiphany. And this has uh, actually been written by a, a local author, Jim Branch. And uh, Jim Branch has done a lot of work with uh, Young Life, and, and he's become a pretty prolific author as well. And he's just... He's a reflective, uh, gifted author, and his books have meant a lot to us over the years. Um, what he's so remarkably gifted at is he is, I think of it as a table setter. So one of the things you've heard me say is this, it's this amazing reality that um, we can uh, make an appointment with the King of Glory every single day, and he will keep that appointment, um, and he will never once refuse to show up. We'll be the one who stands him up, never the other way around. He's always available to us when we seek him. And what Jim Branch as an author does so incredibly well is, and this is the way I picture in my mind's eye, is he, he sets the table for us. So he makes sure everything is set out, and this is what his books do, um, they just set the table so that we can sit down with our Lord and encounter him uh, through devotional space. So we've been talking about spiritual rhythms and spiritual practices. Um, this Advent devotional that runs again through January 10th is such a wonderful way to get that rhythm started if you haven't already. Uh, Order My Steps, a daily journal through Advent and Christmas uh, Jim Branch is the author. He's a local guy. We may try to get him in on the podcast sometime, actually. And uh, it, I would also recommend, honestly, any of his books. He's written a book that the one that's been that's uh, been the I don't know. He sold the most of. There's lots of them out there. It's called The Blue Book, which is just an incredible devotional book. Um, and then Teach Us to Pray. I also really strongly recommend that one. Um, that works through a, a prayer, a systematic prayer guide through um, the Psalms. And we've actually done this with our staff. Our, our entire staff together spent time uh, working through that book in a season. And it was just incredible. Um, it was really, really meaningful to a, a number of us. 
actually, especially to my wife, Sharon, um, our associate pastor, youth pastor, um, it, it really marked her. So she'll be eager to tell you about it if you ever want to mention it to her. So um, be sure to pick uh, any of those books, but for Advent, Order My Steps. And Order My Steps is a new book. It's just uh, come out. Ad, and uh, Jim Branch is working on a series of books that are going to go all the way through the church calendar. So I think that's going to be really, really good. All right, we're going to uh, shift gears now. Um, let's look at First Thessalonians. Like I said before, I've been <laughs> frustrated by the fact that I didn't cover nearly as much of this letter as I intended to. And uh, we're going to look specifically at uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And this is this is what's just been cycling in my mind. Like I can't, I, ah, man, I wish we'd have covered it. I wish we'd have covered it. Um, and I thought today, you know what, let's just cover it. Um, so just quickly, we're going to run through um, the, the high points here. Um, but I, I would encourage you, especially if you're in a spot where you can do this. I know you probably listen to the podcast while you're on the go or maybe taking a walk. Um, but if it's possible for you to have your Bible open in front of you, I'd love to just kind of lead you through a Bible study of this text. Um, and it's just, it's really significant. So maybe, uh, maybe you can, uh, make a space and opportunity for that. If not just zero in at, as best you can. Again, uh, first Thessalonians chapter one, we're gonna look at verses five to 10. Um, you know, throughout this, uh, onward series and then, uh, previously, uh, in our upward, uh, or, um, uprising <laughs> onward and upward, no onward and uprising series. We've been talking about shifts in our society. Um, and we've been leaning in at least a little bit, though not nearly enough, um, on similarities that we have uh, contextually with the church that was in Thessalonica. This Thessalonica, this is why we've been sort of um, uh, going back again and again to this letter. Um, at the church in Thessalonica, they were, they were dealing with, um, and actually the letter says it explicitly, severe persecution. Um, and I'm, I've been careful to say this. Let me say it one more time. Uh, we are not experiencing severe persecution. I don't think that's accurate. In fact, on balance, I think we're still um, advantaged in our context by our Christian faith. But um, in there is an emerging threat of increasing persecution. And I do think there is increasingly sort of low levels of persecution. I don't want to be dramatic about it. No one's standing in front of a firing squad. But the fact is um, we're experiencing more and more pushback because of what we believe. And so um, we can learn a lot from the, from the Thessalonians because um, they dealt with a much, much, much more extreme version of this. And we can see the way that they handled it and frankly, how powerful it was. Um, I do want to make a point though, as we've been talking about societal trends, um, there's, a, there's a fallacy here. I don't want us to fall for it. The, the fallacy is assuming um, that what's happening now, the trends that we're seeing and experiencing now, that they will just continue happening, that they will just stay on the course that we're on. And for the next five years, 10 years, 50 years, and so on, uh, we're just going to keep getting more and more of what we've been getting and making that our assumption as a baseline. That's an incorrect assumption. That's not the baseline. Um, Think about this, and you'll you'll recognize right away. Cultural trends don't work like that way that way at all. They're they're dynamic. They're reactive, um, and we've talked about how the pace of change has sped up in the midst of uh, rapid globalization. Uh, this effect of cultural change is made more extreme with the the increase of that globalization, and not less. And so the baseline, the precedent, is that trends are not steady. 
the baseline is um, not uh, an ongoing continuation of what we're experiencing, but instead a swinging pendulum and, and unpredictable reactions in the broader society to that swinging pendulum. In other words, and here's all I'm saying, we don't know the future, okay? Um, we can learn from trends, we can learn from history, but we do not and will not know the future. As I've said before, um, guys, we, we could be headed for revival any second now. Uh, we could be headed for another dark ages. I just don't know. You don't know. No one but God himself knows. So don't make the mistake of just extending the current trends that we have now into the future and assuming these are going to be ongoing. I'm seeing a number of people, especially Christians in the wake of the collapse of Christendom, becoming increasingly fatalistic um, in their general perspective. I don't think that's the right response. Um, there's, a, there's a dynamic interplay. These things are, are constantly in flux and in moving and moving. And so we should not assume that the trends we're seeing now are going to extend indefinitely um, into the future. Um, so, uh, like I said, we've been looking at what we could learn from the church of Thessalonica. And a couple of reasons for that. As I said, there's, there's some overlap between um, what they're facing and what they were facing and what we are perhaps beginning to experience. But really, the main reason why we want to focus on the Thessalonians is because they were absolutely incredible. Like They were amazing. And they were, and I've looked into this, they're the only church that is held up by the Apostle Paul as a model for us, as a model to us. I, I don't see that of any other church in Scripture, but of the Thessalonians, he said, this is the model. Go and do and be like they like they did and were. So it's a really big deal. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses, uh, we're going to look at verses 5 through 10. We'll start in verse 5. It says this, For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power, for the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true, and you know of our concern for you from the day, uh, from the day we lived when we were. From, pardon me, from the way that we lived when we were with you. So, um, I just want to point out a couple things here. In that one verse, we can see Paul's strategy for ministry. Like it's it's all laid out there. First of all, it says we brought you the good news. It was not only with words. So I'm going to pause there. What that is clearly st stating, and it's saying more than this, but it's saying clearly he used words to explain the gospel. And we've talked about this a bit, how um, we can slow pay it, play it, and that's fine, and maybe that's the right move under certain circumstances. But in the end, we have to speak the truth of the gospel to the people around us in order to be effective. We have to open our mouths and say the words and declare the name of Jesus. And I know that's hard. I know that's scary. But it's also not optional. Um, you may have heard the expression, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Um, there's actually no evidence at all that St. Francis ever said that. I don't know where that came from, but it almost certainly did not come from St. Francis. Um, and this idea, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. It's a, I mean, it's sort of an inspirational phrasing, um, but it's, essentially just wrong. It's just wrong. The, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you remember that one? Faith comes by hearing and, hear, and hearing by the word of God. So um, we have to speak the words in order for them to be effective. Uh, so it was not only with words, Paul said, but also with power for the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. In, in other words, 
uh, Paul spoke the words of, he spoke the truth of the gospel to, to his listeners, and he then in turn demonstrated the power of the Holy Spirit. They sought the embreaking of God's kingdom. This follows the exact same model that Jesus used. He announced and he demonstrated the coming of the kingdom of God. And he demonstrated the kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul continued, as all the other apostles did, as Jesus did in his ministry, which is to say he not only spoke the words clearly of the gospel, but then he also said, let's together seek the power of God. He prayed that they would be healed. They sought the uh, the power of God intervening in their lives. And what the text says is it gave full assurance that the gospel that he was speaking was true. And so it's this combination. It's a combination. We have to do both of speaking the truth of God's word and then having uh, then the faith and the boldness to say things like, hey, can I pray for you right now? Or can we seek a word from the Lord or healing from the Lord or the power and presence of God right now? And then um, also at the end of that verse, uh, the, and this is the third piece of what Paul did. He said, you know of our concern for you from the day, from the way that we lived when we were with you. So the third thing in Paul's strategy is that he had obvious concern for the people he was reaching out to. He loved them well. Uh, you might remember uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this one also from 1 Thessalonians. This is chapter 2, verse 8. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only the gospel, but our very lives as well. Paul did not just, he was not just a talking head. He did not just spew the words. He then lived in community with people and loved them really, really well. And that, the collection of those three things, was incredibly effective. He spoke the gospel. He demonstrated the Holy Spirit's power. He loved people really, really well. And then here in the next verse, verse 6, we see the result. We see the impact of this. Verse 6, so you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. So they were persecuted because of their faith. In this way, you, you imitated both us and the Lord. So we see Paul's strategy. He spoke the word. He demonstrated the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he, left foot, right foot, day in, day out, loved these people really well. The impact of the result of that is in verse 6, which is, first of all, they received the message. People believed it. And it was not because their arm was twisted. He wasn't scaring anybody straight. It wasn't that. It was explained to them in a way that they could understand. And then its power was demonstrated. And then it was backed up by genuine love of people. So um, they understood it. They saw its power. And then they looked around and said, wow, you love me remarkably so. And so they said, look, we're in, I'm in, I'm in with joy. And they said, well, persecution, well, I'm still in with joy in spite of the suffering that was brought to them because of their faith. That was the impact of Paul's strategy. So they're in, in spite of persecution, and they're fired up about it too. Again, they were not arm twisted, manipulated emotionally into this, but with eagerness, they received the gospel, experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, the kindness and the love of Paul extended to them, and they were in, in full, in spite of persecution. So that takes us to the next verse. And man, this is it. This is it. So uh, as a result, this is verse seven, as a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece 
throughout both uh, Macedonia and Achaia. So real simple, the impact of one fired up church is emanating through their city, through their region, and beyond. Um, the word of the Lord, he says, is ringing out from them as just a, a natural overflow. Okay. Now, verse 8, and now the word of the Lord, here's that ringing out phrase I used. Now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, listen, wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. So their example was remarkable. He says this, we don't even need to tell them about it. Verse 9, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from Jesus. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, he is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So um, 8, 9, and 10, we're going to look at those together. But I just again want to highlight verse 7, um, which is that there was this emanation, that the, the gospel just, it emanated from them, it resonated off of them, it, it, and, it, and it was an inescapable outcome because the authenticity of their faith. And I just want to say the obvious here, but this is like a really, really big deal. Like, um, they did what we dream of doing. This is what we long to do as a church. They were joining God in the renewal of all things. And because of their authenticity, it, it impacted their city, their region, and beyond. Uh, so how do they do it? And their strategy, we looked at Paul's strategy for sharing the gospel with them. And now we get to see their strategy that led to the gospel just emanating from them uh, and to, as Paul put it, to people everywhere. All right, so three things quickly um, that they did. Um, man, they stand out too. Number one, they were they were hospitable. Uh, we've talked about hospita hospitality a lot. Um, I remind you, uh, the Greek word here is philozenia, philo meaning love, xenia meaning stranger. Hospitality is the love of strangers, okay? Um, it's not hosting people. It's not making a killer charcuterie board. Uh, it's not what Martha Stewart is able to teach you to do. Um, hospitality is loving strangers. In the last couple of weeks of church, we've been talking about how um, the Great Commission to us from Jesus was to make disciples. Um, and it was not just to make converts as it's been you know, thought of increasingly as of late. But I want to say this, we do still need to make converts. And here's what I mean. Before we can make disciples... We have to make converts. We have to convert strangers into friends, all right? We have to convert strangers into friends. Um, so much of just living out our faith in this world is seeing, recognizing the stranger. The default in our context, and for a whole lot of frankly good reasons, is stranger danger. You should be afraid of the unknown. You should be afraid of the stranger that you haven't connected with. Jesus gives us a very different story. You're supposed to philoxenia. You're supposed to love the stranger, seek out the stranger, and seek to convert that stranger into a friend. And from that friendship, you can make disciples. So what happened for the Thessalonians is the word about their kindness, um, their 
their love of people, their love of strangers, that's what's spreading. Um, Their love of people, by the way, I'll remind you, um, is a main theme in this letter. Paul was amazed by how well the Thessalonians loved people. I'll read you a couple verses. This is uh, chapter 4, 9, and 10 about brotherly love, Paul writes to them. You don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you were doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. So there's an entire region that is being loved well by one fired up church who is determined to convert strangers into friends and friends into disciples. It's incredible. Okay, so first they were hospitable love of stranger. Secondly, they were devout. Don't run past this one, guys. They were devout. Listen, nobody anywhere, nobody anywhere accused the Thessalonians of being hypocrites. Um, Verse 8, Paul writes, wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. It says they stood out. They were so distinct from the broader context. They stood out so remarkably that wherever Paul went, and he's going to different towns and different regions, people are pulling him aside and said, have you seen what the Thessalonians have done and the way that they are like? Like They're so remarkable in their faithfulness that in towns and regions beyond their own, it's what people are talking about. They're talking about the faithfulness of the Thessalonians, one town over, two towns over. This is why the gospel emanated from them so well. They just stood out. They were so devoted. Um, Actually, on this podcast uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we did, or you may remember, it was like a shtick where um, uh, it was Aaron Wright and uh, Josh Armstrong, David Hawkins, and myself, we talked about our favorite albums. and, And one of them, I think it was David, talked about um, the, the DC talk Jesus freak album that was just so incredibly good. And it just stood out and it really did that, that thing's, that thing's, uh, it was, it was a masterpiece. Anyway, um, there's this, uh, there's a song on there called what if I stumble. And at the beginning of that song, um, there's, there's this quote that became pretty famous. Like a lot of people can quote it, like they can quote their Bible. Um, and it said the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. If you're a church kid, you probably remember that quote. Um, and basically the issue is hypocrisy, like people who are not devout, And the language we've been using lately, uh, last couple of weeks, is people who aren't genuine disciples or apprentices of Jesus, people who aren't genuinely walking with Jesus, but they they name the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, the people looking on, they aren't moved by that. They don't find that compelling. But here we have the gospel emanating through, through regions and beyond from this one church in Thessalonica, and it's because they were the opposite of that. They were incredibly devout. They were incredibly faithful, and people were talking about it. Um, I, 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 had to, I couldn't resist taking some time to talk about chapter one. I'm also really bummed out that I didn't spend a bunch of time talking about chapters four and five. 
Um, that's the end of this letter. Oh, I want to encourage you guys, read this whole letter, man. Read it a few times through. It's so incredibly relevant. But let me read you just a, a, a couple of verses here from chapter 4. This is uh, 10 through 12, I think. Paul writes this, In fact, you were doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. This is actually picking up what we read earlier about how he said they had such incredible brotherly love. So he's talking about how they loved people really well. You're doing this in the entire region. But he adds this, but we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. Like you're already doing it. God himself taught you how to do it. Crank it up even more. Like this is it. We love people well. And then to do this even more, verse 11, this is, man, this sticks with me. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent upon anyone. This is, oh man, I, I, these verses are so incredibly helpful. Um, we need to capture the tension here of some of the things that have been said. Um, I said, as with Paul's example, um, we have to use words, okay? We have to speak and name our faith and point people to Jesus with our words. And we've already discussed that. But what this verse is making really clear, this is not about pushing anything onto anybody. We are not shoving the gospel down the throat of anyone. That's not how you love strangers. Before you point strangers to Jesus, you have to convert them from strangers into friends. And from that friendship, you are able um, to lead them to be disciples and apprentices of Jesus. So there's a tension here. This is not bullhorns. This is not forcing anybody, um, anything down anyone's throat. Um, and so what he says here is a part of our example is just leading a quiet life. Verse 11, I love it. Leading a quiet life, minding your own business, working hard, like just what he's talking about is being the type of person who is marked by righteousness and contributes well to society, who uses everything in there that they have available to them. And we all have different, you know, access to different resources, but taking what is available to you, your good health, your capacity to work, and you work, you lead a quiet life, you mind your own business, you be faithful in these things. And people will find that attractive. It says out of that, you will be able to behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on, upon anyone. The idea is that to the extent that it is possible, I know there's various circumstances for various people, but to the extent that it is possible, we're not taking, we are giving. Um, we are living our lives, faithfully serving people, faithfully doing the work that's in front of us, uh, being known as people who work with our hands, who mind our own business, and are kind and loving to others. Out of that, we will be given, as I said earlier, the opportunity to convert strangers into friends and then to lead friends into being um, disciples. Um, our testimony is to lead a quiet life, minding our own business, working hard, behaving well. Um, unfortunately, I see the opposite of that all over social media, and you know the tropes, uh, so I don't have to repeat all of them, but we see a lot of slacktivism. We see people who are, who are named the name of Jesus, but they're, they're ranting and raving, and they're angry, and they're frustrated, and they're expressing that all the time. And Paul said, actually, the Thessalonians had this incredible megaphone that extended to regions upon regions. He said that it was the gospels emanating from them everywhere, and they did it by leading a quiet life, 
minding their own business, behaving well in the presence of outsiders. Why? So that they would be attractive, so that people would say, I want to be like that. These are verses worth meditating on. So um, in, in uh, this, these verses, we see their example. They were number one, hospitable, love of stranger. Uh, number two, they were devout. Um, so they were, they were marked by holiness. And then out of that, they, they led quiet lives, minding their own business, working hard. Keep your head down and go, man. And that becomes attractive to people. And then the third thing that was listed in the text, this is verse 10, is they placed their hope in Christ's return and therefore they were unafraid. Let me read it to you. They speak of how you were looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. I've talked about this a lot. Um, There is unfortunately panic Um, especially here in the Bible Belt, as we have seen the collapse of Christendom, there are Christians who are panicking and they are looking at cultural trends and they are being marked by fear. And so uh, here we have a, a very different example in the Thessalonians. And remember, they're the ones who are doing it. They're the ones whose example is emanating to regions upon regions and making a vast impact They're doing it by being faithful, keeping their heads down, leading quiet lives, working hard. And what really makes them stand out is while everyone else is terrified, they are at peace. And they're not at peace because they're in denial about economic uncertainty or ecological fears or, look, legitimately terrifying things that are happening around us. I'm not talking about sticking our head in the sands and ignoring these realities. But there is a larger reality, which is that we are people marked by eternity. We evaluate our problems on an eternity scale. And when you put the problems facing us today on an eternity scale, they simply are smaller when we view these things through the scope of eternity. And then what becomes larger in our eyes and becomes dominant in our thoughts is the eternal life that awaits us. And we become people then who are not marked by fear, even though we're not denying the troubles in front of us, but instead we are people who are marked by anticipation of the coming of Christ, anticipation of a new heaven and a new earth where we will join God in his resurrection. Um, And we do not then live in terror from the coming judgment, from our current struggles. Again, we're aware of these difficulties, but we are not marked by them. And I'm telling you, you want to stand out beautifully. You want to be a a light that shines brightest in the darkest of nights. This is how you do it. To not be marked by fear and panic while everyone around us is losing their heads, we will not lose ours. Not because we don't understand the problems of our day, but because we believe in a greater and eternal reality that simply subsumes those things that are that vastly supersede those fears. And um, because of that, we live genuinely as people marked by peace. You can keep your head down, mind your own business, lead a quiet life, work hard, and in that, simply be marked by the peace of God and you will be given so many opportunities. People will find that so attractive. You will have so many opportunities to convert strangers into friends 
friends and two apprentices, and people will be talking about it beyond your own reach. People will go, I know him, I know her. They're at such peace. They're marked by an anticipation of the coming of our King. And it, listen, it's powerful. It's transforming. It inspired for the Thessalonians. It inspired the masses and spread like wildfire. And again, that's the dream. That's the dream for our church, that they were joining God in the renewal of all things. That's why their model here matters so much. This stuff works. Again, they were hospitable. They were devout. They put their hope in Christ's return. And in the process, man, they were crushing it. Guys, let's go do it. Let's go do it the way that they did it, folks. Let's go and do what they did. Be hospitable, devout, and unafraid because our hope is in the return of Christ and our eternity is therefore secure. All right, that's end rant for me. That's the stuff, man. I could, I just could not move forward without at least covering 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 to 10. Spend some time praying and reflecting on these things. Again, I'll encourage you one last time, read through 1 Thessalonians, read through it again, read through it again, meditate on it, reflect on it. This call to sanctification in chapters 4 and, and being marked by the future king, kingdom coming that's um, focused on in both chapters 4 and 5. These things will really shape us. Invest the time to do that, guys. It will be worth it. This is such a great and relevant letter from the Apostle Paul. It's to the Thessalonians, but man, it's to us too. So um, spend some time in God's Word. Hey, I hope you have an amazing um, Thanksgiving and holiday weekend. I hope you rest. I hope you delight in the presence of the Lord. Thanks so much for jumping on the podcast um, and sticking in for a little little extra sermonette that I just could not resist uh, throwing your way. I love you guys. God bless you. Um, Advent starts this weekend. Let's lean into a season of reflection. Um, Very good. Thanks, guys.